We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Start for the win. It's good. Shevsky takes flight as SGA plays through the contact, banks it in on the foul. What is up, Thunder fans? Welcome to the Uncontested Post Game Podcast Edition. We are a proud part of Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of SI Thunder. This is your boy Taylor. You can find me on Twitter at Taylor underscore P15. Uh, the Thunder end up losing to the Hawks 113 to 101. Well, it was actually a pretty fun game considering SGA didn't play, which we'll get into. Uh, the Thunder lose their third straight. After a, a pretty hot week uh, this past week, this week, or sorry, I guess two weeks ago, this past week, or just this past four or five days now, uh, not nearly as good, but the competition has been better, right? They they played the Bucks um, on the first game of their East Coast road trip. They then played the Celtics two nights, or was it back-to-back? Yeah, it was a back-to-back. And then tonight, they end up playing the Hawks and dropped this one as well. But there's a lot of fun things to take from this, and I'm excited to dive into it with you all. Like I mentioned, no SGA tonight. He's still nursing an ankle sprain that occurred in the fourth quarter of the Celtics game. Uh, Day Bliss, the uh, acting head coach right now with Dagnall back home with his wife, who who was uh, about to give birth um, on this road trip. Bliss took over, and he mentioned they didn't. The Thunder staff didn't know exactly when it happened or how, but it, it did occur. They can confirm in the Celtics game, which we all already knew. The good news about that, though, excuse me, is that he was going through pregame warmups. And he was questionable up until like about an hour or so before it was announced he wasn't going to play. So it doesn't seem to be too serious. And I think that's good news. Um, that hopefully we'll get to see him when Thunder come back home on Wednesday night and play the Utah Jazz. Obviously, they're going to need him against the Jazz. And uh, we'll make it a much more fun game. So I don't think it's anything too serious, but being precautionary. But the biggest questions I had heading into the game without SGA were who's going to score, obviously, or score more in Shea's absence. Uh, how is Giddy going to look as a primary facilitator? Because we knew that he was going to end up getting the uh, the primary ball handling duties with Shea out and playmaking duties. How is he going to look doing that with more of a responsibility on his plate, uh, playing without Shea for the first time in his young career? Who else was going to help facilitate, right? Obviously, we know Giddy can't do it all by himself. Um, and I think the fun part is there's pretty good answers. We, we got pretty good answers from all for all three of those questions. 
overall, it was really an increased scoring effort <laughs> from just about every player who who played tonight. Um, in fact, every Thunder player who did play, minus the garbage time, shout out uh, Gabe Deck, <laughs> at the at the very end of the game when uh, Dignall cleared the or sorry when uh, Bliss cleared the bench. Every Thunder player who played tonight scored, and uh, that was really important. A really balanced scoring effort, which we'll get into. The other question, Giddy looked absolutely incredible as a main facilitator. And I can't wait to dive into that as well. And then the answer to the third question, well, Giddy honestly took more, I guess you would call it reps. Uh, he took the majority of the responsibility when it came to ball handling, facilitating for others. Uh, but he did have other players step up, primarily Lou Dort. Um, <laughs> took a swing at sometimes great, sometimes not so great. And then Ty Jerome in that second unit really came in and, and played the, the backup point guard duties and, and did a really good job with it, especially from a scoring standpoint, which we'll dive into also. So um, again, let's, let's just go ahead and break it all down. A, a really fun one at more of a fun first half than the second half. <laughs> That's kind of where a lot of the fun stuff happened outside of what we saw from Giddy tonight. But uh, we'll just go ahead and go, go through quarter by quarter, some of the highlights. And then I have some things I want to jump into and pick your all's, your all's brain. So uh, all of you in the chat, be sure to continue to, to drop your comments, drop your questions. I'll get to those at the end. Uh, excited to break this one down with you all. First quarter happens. Thunder started the game with six assists on their first eight makes, with 14 of 17 of their points coming in the paint. Again, super impressive, specifically when you take into consideration some of these guys uh, playing for the Hawks and Clint Capella, John Collins, right? Like so much length and strength and size uh, for the Thunder to do that. And that was a theme that carried out through the entire game. I thought was really impressive because as we've seen over, uh, you know, the, the early weeks of, of this season, teams have adapted and adjusted to this OKC offense. They know that getting Shea and Dort and Baisley <laughs> and Poku, I mean, the entire team loves to drive the ball and, and try and finish around the rim. So uh, we even saw like, for example, the Miami heat with that matchup zone. It's a good example. Teams continue to try and pack the paint against OKC. Um, that's led to a lot of struggle, recent struggles for SGA prior to his injury. But tonight it didn't matter, and I thought that was really impressive. Uh, there was a lot of ball movement starting in the first quarter. I thought Giddy came out super aggressive from the very beginning, attacking the rim, finding teammates, um, also not afraid to shoot the ball and, and finish around the rim, whether it be a floater or trying to draw contact. He was just making some insane passes from the very beginning. Again, something else that carried throughout the entire game. But there were some so good that his teammates weren't even ready for the ball and, and fumbled the 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 pass because they, they weren't ready for it. It was incredible. I think of uh, two that he had, I believe in the consecutive offensive possessions where he drives to the rim and, and found a, um, I almost said Baisley, not Baisley favors. Um, once in the mid range, uh, the other favors was down the other block and somehow or another Giddy had just a ridiculous um, two handed bounce pass that he like wrapped his arms around a defender and was able to get a, a bounce pass to, like I said, a Favors who was not really expecting that pass, and I think he actually was able to finish it this time. Favors was better tonight. Uh, Giddy's teammates were better, I think, finishing his his passes as uh, his assists as a whole, uh, which led to him uh, having more assists. But uh, again, Giddy just really set the tone from the very beginning, not just for him, but for the entire team. Now, I, I did mention Baisley uh, on accident, but I do want to mention him here. I thought Baisley played a good first quarter. He was aggressive uh, within the flow of the offense, he created some offense when the offense kind of became stagnant, especially without SGA, which I thought was important. He did a good job there. Um, and he played really good defense as well. The defense carried through the majority of the game, but unfortunately, that was the only thing that stayed around. The offense was just horrendous after that for Baisley. But overall, I thought he played a pretty solid first quarter. Um, 
And I think that earned him minutes throughout throughout the game. And I, and I think they needed him against, like I said, bigger guys, like especially John Collins. It was uh, quite the battle between John Collins and, and Baisley there early on at that power forward, a stretch forward position. So the second quarter was a blast. Uh, Mike Muscala gets in at the very end of the first. Second quarter, he catches fire. Scored, not, not in the way you would think, though. He scores nine points in seven minutes. But I believe it was, he only hit like one or two three-pointers during that time. He was hitting a lot of main, mid-range shots, getting some putbacks, and really gave this Thunder team the boost that they needed. I believe they were down. They, they, were, they weren't down by double digits at this point, but they were able to uh, make a, a little bit of a comeback. And actually, uh, and when the Stars came back in later in the second quarter, um, they were able to maintain a lead um, up until, I guess, the very end uh, of the half. Lou, also, this is pretty crazy. We've been talking about Lou's improved stroke, his improved shooting, although tonight it wasn't fantastic. But Lou made it 31 straight games in the second quarter tonight. Uh, he made it 31 straight games with a made three and eight straight games with at least two made three-pointers, which is uh, pretty great to see. So obviously uh, at least or eight straight games with a, at least more than one three-pointer. The Thunder kept going at Trey Young on offense. Uh, that's what really led to a lot of that comeback. And again, that was led by none other than Josh Giddy. He was just basically bullying Trey, <laughs> bullying Trey with his size and strength, and uh, I just love seeing that. Maybe the most aggressive, arguably we've we've seen from from getting on the offensive end of the floor, uh, doing so. I think knowing that Shea isn't on the floor, not feeling that need to necessarily share the ball like that. Um, Giddy was just able to attack off the off the dribble and did a fantastic job. But it wasn't just Giddy. Um, we saw Lou do it a couple times. Basically, anytime a player uh, had Trey switched onto him. He was driving to the to the rim, driving to the basket, and and they took advantage of that there in that second quarter. Giddy ends the half with nine points, five rebounds, six assists at halftime. And the reason I I mention that stat line here is because unfortunately didn't get a ton of opportunity like I would have thought in the second half, and we'll get into that. Um, Paul's just short of the triple double, but was already on triple double watch. And then Lou had ten points at half. Um, I mentioned that as well because I was interested to see with Che out if Lou would continue his scoring role. Or would he not be able to score as much as he has been? Because more uh, with Shea out now, more defenders are, are looking at him offensively, giving him more attention than they were when Shea's in the game. Um, I was curious to see how that looked. In the first half, it looked good. Lou was on on track for another 20-point game, and unfortunately, he didn't reach that either in the second half. Um, and the Thunder ended up with 32 points in the paint. Again, just a continuation of what I mentioned earlier. Third quarter happens. The Hawks just get hot from outside. The Thunder get cold in general. Things really start to go downhill. Only four points up in, uh, until about the 6.56 mark in the third quarter for OKC. Just could not get the lid off the basket. It was it was rough to watch. Meanwhile, the Hawks were led by Trey Young, who had pretty much been, I don't want to say shutout, um, but pretty damn close to it. <laughs> I thought Lou played some fantastic defense on Trey uh, all night, but especially in that first half, the third quarter, it just, Trey Young's that special kind of talent. It doesn't really matter who you have on him, how great of defense you're going to play. You can make it as difficult as possible, but Trey's going to get it going eventually, and that's what happened there in the third quarter. I want to say it was like 17 points, but again, that's just off the top of my head, and that seems high, maybe 15, uh, 13, 15, somewhere in there in, in the third quarter, and uh, again, just really opened it up, opened up the offense for the Hawks. But it, it, other players, we saw Gallo hit outside threes. We saw Herter um, continue to, to hit from outside as well. And meanwhile, the Thunder couldn't get anything going, especially from the three-point line. I mentioned this here because I thought Bliss played some pretty interesting lineups. And I didn't mind it so much here in the third quarter as much as I minded it in the fourth, or I, I cared about it in the fourth. But he didn't put Mescala back in after Mescala had a great second quarter, a great first half, until about three minutes left in the quarter and kind of had some strange lineups out there. Like instead of playing favors for that time, which makes sense, but 
Um, he had like Baisley, Wiggins, Poku, Kenrich lineups. Um, at one point, I believe he put JRE back in with with Baisley, which is fine. But like, if you if you're wanting to play JRE at the four, and I know Baisley's been playing good defense, but Muscala was as well, honestly, on the defensive end of the floor, and I think he could could have provided a a much needed spark for that Thunder team to keep this one close. Now, I'm all about prioritizing player development, and that maybe that's what it was, but the game just kind of got stagnant there, and that kind of lasted into the fourth quarter, and unfortunately, I think kind of affected um, what could have been some great player development for some of these guys, especially like Giddy, who had it going tonight, uh, getting to play in a close game like that. Instead, it just felt like the Thunder could never get over that 12, 13-point hump. Um, the lead for the Hawks would go anywhere from that 12 to 13 points to 20 um, between the third and the fourth, kind of fluctuate in the third and fourth quarters. Now, the fourth quarter to start it off, speaking of fluctuation, Ty Jerome gets it going from outside and inside. He was attacking and being aggressive, played a great, great second half and a a really good fourth quarter there, which got the Thunder back within, like like I said, about that 13-point range. Uh, That bench unit made a a good comeback there, uh, led by Ty, but uh, you also had Poku, who wasn't making his shots, but I thought contributed well tonight um, on both ends of the floor. Had a couple nice blocks that I really liked. Um, I don't know if he got credited with with both of them, but at least one that I know he got credited with. Um, Kendrick Williams, I thought, played really well. They all played really well together there. But ultimately, the Thunder, can't, like I said, couldn't get like past that 13-point 13, 13 lead that the Hawks had. But here's like my biggest issue I think I had with Bliss tonight. In the fourth quarter... You know, you I, I understand maybe maybe not even wanting to win this game, right? Or or whatever, prioritizing player development, whatever you want to call it. But Giddy just had it going, was playing fantastic, and he doesn't see the floor again until five minutes left in the fourth quarter when he's on triple double watch. You can play Giddy with that all bench lineup. I know Ty Jerome was playing great. Guess what? You can play Josh Giddy alongside him. We, we've seen him play with other ball handlers all the time. And in fact, Ty Jerome was contributing the best because due to his scoring. And, you know, I think it would have been a great time to put Gideon alongside him rather than like Poku or uh, I'm trying to think of the other guard they had out there. I don't know. It was just very interesting that Bliss decided to wait until so late into the, the quarter to play Giddy. He even brought back some of the starters like Baisley, Dort, JRE before he brought Giddy back in. And I know that Giddy has had probably played the most minutes at that point, but I don't know. That just seems like a game that you really want Giddy playing a lot of minutes out there. Kind of like we see SGA do from time to time, right? And um, I, I just found that very interesting. That was something I wanted to mention. So again, like I said, very eventful first half, not so much of a fun second half, but the fourth quarter at least was much better. Uh, it was really that third quarter where everything really went downhill and just never really gave the Thunder a chance, whether it was coaching, whether it was the players, whether it was the Hawks just getting warm. Uh, no SGA obviously started to show there in the second half. That's really kind of where it fell apart. So I have some negatives and I have some positives. For you longtime listeners, you know we always end on positives. So let's go ahead and jump into the negatives here um, to kick things off. And we'll end on a positive note as we head back into a homestand uh, with OKC coming back home. So my first is Darius Baisley, and probably the biggest, if we're being completely honest. I say this with the disclaimer that I understand and, and recognize his defense was pretty fantastic. Again, when he's playing against guys like John Collins, I think was the biggest, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> biggest matchup, but also uh, physically biggest, right? I thought he did a really good job. Uh, he continued to look really well, uh, look really good when he's guarding the perimeter and shuffling his feet and contesting shots. I'm trying to see if I can go back to my stats here. Baisley had... Um, oh, only one block. That's interesting. I thought he had more than that. 
Um, he has some really he, he contested at the rim. I thought he did a good job there. Again, he he looked good defensively, and, and I understand that's why Bliss wanted him out there as much as he did. Um, let's see, thirty two minutes tonight, which actually led the team. Now that I'm looking at that, which is just again wild and a little inexcusable if we're being completely honest. But only four points, four rebounds, three assists. He is doing other things, like we keep mentioning on this podcast. You can go back to our podcast that, that we dropped uh, Monday. Uh, today, for those of you listening to this, it'll probably be uh, yesterday's podcast. And on our group podcast we did, we mentioned you know like, that Baisley is contributing in, in other areas, and that is important. And I understand why you know they still have him out there. He, he makes an impact at certain times, but just the inconsistency is just killer. 2 of 11 from the floor. He's shooting the ball 11 times. For context, that's only uh, two... Um, two less shots compared to Josh Giddy's 13. Blue Dort led the team with 16. It's just, I I, I don't know. It, it wasn't great. He catches the ball. He kind of has a deer in the headlights look there, especially um, after the first quarter where he just kind of pauses. Then he gets his, his blinders on, his tunnel vision. He starts to drive to the rim thinking he's creating offense, but then doesn't see anybody else. And then uh, there was a couple plays where he drives to the rim and, and like the ball either flies out of bounds or just basically bricks it off the, off the backboard on a layup. Now there's other times where it works to his advantage, but again, against the length and versatility and the strength and size that the Hawks have just a, not a good Baisley showing. And as much as we built him up in that five game stretch earlier in the season, it, I, I think it's equally important to point out his flaws offensively during this recent stretch as well. And to that point, um, our, my co-host, our guy, Jacob tweeted this out. And I thought this was a very, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, damning stat or, or a handful of stats here. After a two and eleven outing tonight, Darius Baisley is thirteen of fifty-nine from the field in his last six games, including four of twenty-one from three. Again, like you know, Jacob mentioned his defense as well, but the offense just isn't there. And the, the, the decision making is just <laughs> it's awful. Um, and I'm just really curious. I mean, he's inconsistent, and we keep talking about this. Not from game to game, but within the game itself. Like I said, a great first quarter, and then it just kind of goes downhill. You can almost see it in his body language. And I, I'm just so curious to watch, you know, how do the Thunder view these flashes of, of you know, I, I think Dagnant called it peaks, right? He kind of goes from a peak to a new peak, but there's just too many valleys in between. Are they noticing both? Or are they just more excited about the peaks and think that, it, you know, the valleys don't really matter right now during this rebuilding phase that the Thunder find themselves in? Are they giving Baisley all this run with this being a, a contract year for him to see if they, they want to extend a new contract or let him walk or trade him? Or, you know, do they just think very highly of him and love these flashes and think they can develop him into a, a, a an important piece moving forward for this team? I'm just really curious to kind of watch how this plays out, um, whether they're just personally invested in him or if it is more so we, we've got to give him run this year, see what he's capable of because we're going to be drafting players her better than him that can play his position. And I, I, I don't know. It's just something to keep an eye on. And um, it's only right. I think that we mentioned it here in this post game as well. And something to keep an eye on. I, I hope he starts to begin to play better. Uh, hopefully starting against the, uh, against Utah and, and hopefully getting Shea back will help him some as well, but just a lot of inconsistency, especially on the offensive end for Baisley, no matter how solid his defense has been. I think we were talking in the slack. Kamiar was, was making some solid uh, counter arguments to to all all of us who were kind of harping on Bays, and uh, I think Jacob just say you know he he might be the second best defender on this team right now, and that's worth mentioning. But the offense just almost makes it not worth it. 
So enough on Baisley. I went a little too long on him there probably. <laughs> but something, this this is a pretty quick one, but equally important. Uh, maybe not so much for this season. Again, this almost could be by design, uh, such as the the lack of, of um, rim protection that this, this team has this year. But the Thunder three-point shooting just continues to be awful. And it was uh, maybe at its worst tonight where the Thunder as a team shoot Oh gosh, I lost it. There we go. 14 of, uh, no, 10 of 38 from the from the three uh, tonight. That's compared to 34 shot attempts from, from the Hawks. They shoot 14 of 34. The Thunder shoot 10 of 38. Um, for reference, they, they took 97 shots. 38 of those are from three. I think that's, a, honestly, when I was looking at the, the shot differences in the, in, from, from the first half stats, um, I, I thought, the three point attempts were pretty high for how poorly they were shooting them. That kind of leveled out in the second half. So that's good to see now that I'm looking at it again, but I, I think that's probably the the right amount of attempts, but only getting 10 three point shots to fall, especially after that three point barrage in the third quarter from the Hawks. Like that is a huge reason why they lost tonight. And look, that's okay. Again, especially, you know, I just harped on Baisley and now I'm kind of uh, maybe contradicting myself a little bit here, but during this rebuild phase, like again, it's almost by design. Um, but it would be nice to see some of these guys step up and start to hit threes. Obviously, Baisley is a big one. I think he, yeah, he shot shot four threes, was 0 of 4. Um, JRE was 2 of 5 from, from 3 tonight, which kind of stinks. I love him taking five shots. Uh, he only knocked down two of them. And Josh Giddy, we're going to get into Josh. He shot five threes, which I think is a perfect balance for him. For reference, he was 6 of 13 from the floor. So the majority of shots that he missed were from the three-point line. And um, just not much arc arch on his shot at all very flat um, still trying to get used to that that extended length um, at the NBA level but and I'm looking let's see Mike was only one of five Poku <laughs> shot five threes um, just cannot get that shot to fall so just not great three-point shooting as a whole for the team and I thought that obviously was a negative and then my last one here and this one maybe seems a little um, maybe unfair to call Lou Dort a negative after how great he's been, but I'm going to be honest. I kind of expected him to rise to the occasion today or tonight without SGA. Like I mentioned, even if he was getting more uh, attention on the defensive end with, with teams focusing on him without having Shea on the floor, I thought that he would still play within a little more within the, the rhythm of the game. Um, I thought he, he performed better as a whole and his defense was great. And again, a lot of this maybe was due to him putting so much effort on the defensive end of the floor against Trey young which I thought Lou did a really good job on as a whole outside of that third quarter and the fourth quarter. You know, I think everybody just kind of looked tired at that point, but uh, you know, he's chasing Trey young around on the perimeter <laughs> the entire first half and his offense kind of showed um, kind of showed that. I think I, he, he resorted back to just some of that, you know, he's driving to the rim. He's not looking for teammates. He he's trying to like avoid contact. And then he was just throwing up shots around the rim uh, compared to what we've been seeing where he's been much more efficient around the rim. Again, that's a little bit of a stretch, but I don't know. I, I thought Lou kind of resorted back to some of the old stuff we saw at the very beginning of this season and obviously um, into last season as well. Looking at his stats, I mentioned I think he was um, three of yeah three of eight from three. It was great to see him get three three threes to fall, um, shooting the ball eight times from three. Obviously, it's quite a bit. He did so knowing that Shea was out, trying to take more of an offensive uh, scoring load with Shea being out. Shot the ball 16 times, but it was only 5 of 16 from the floor. I don't have that. I, I could have gone to NBA stats and pulled up um, his shooting around the rim tonight. But again, not not great. Only two free throws. So I think that kind of just proves that point as well. 
the avoiding contact, the not being able to finish. I, I don't know. It just, uh, it wasn't great. He seemed to struggle. I mentioned when I was talking about Baisley, the size and length and strength of those, uh, of, of the Atlanta Hawks and their defenders, especially down in the paint. And Lou really struggled with that tonight. So hopefully he'll bounce back and have a big game against the Jazz. It's always fun to watch him against the Jazz uh, and some of their players on both ends of the floor. And having Shea back hopefully will help that a lot as well. But I just had to mention Lou here. As, as high as I've been talking him up, as we all have been over the past week, that was only fair to mention Lou. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So now, the fun stuff the positives and we'll end the podcast on these. Sometimes I like save the biggest positive for, for very last to talk about, but tonight I just want to dive right into it. Josh Giddy, just a fantastic showing all around outside of his, his, uh, his jumper outside of his shooting, just a fantastic game. Uh, his playmaking was just unreal on a whole nother level. At one point I tweeted out that some of the passes he, he was throwing out there were, were magic Johnson esque. <laughs> right. And obviously, um, I, I wasn't old enough to watch Magic in his prime, um, but just watching those highlights, some of the one-handed uh, passes that just kind of seemed to float in like slow motion and make it, you know, and go exactly where Magic intended that ball to go to, uh, to where only his his offensive teammate can catch the ball and 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 score. That's exactly what Giddy was doing tonight, and it was it was really impressive. Uh, he had maybe my favorite play of the game. I think the one will probably make all the highlight. Uh, all the highlight videos from tonight was in the fourth quarter, Josh Giddy catches the ball on the left wing. He has the defender come up on him. He kind of waits a second and then he dribbles to the middle of the floor, uh, drives down right before, well, he has another defender come up on him, kind of shadow him. Um, he has a defender on the block come up on him and he, he goes up with a little floater at, like he typically does. But this time he does this, this old school finger, finger roll. Uh, reminiscent of Dr. J <laughs> where he kind of scoops the ball with his fingertips and, and makes it. And it, it just kind of left everybody speechless on the broadcast. Speaking of the broadcast, uh, Dominique Wilkins, the Atlanta Hawks broadcaster, and obviously uh, just got, I don't know if you call it inducted, but made the top 75 list 
for the 75th anniversary uh, of the NBA. He was mentioning it apparently on the Hawks broadcast. We got a couple tweets about this on the account, just raving about Josh Giddey's play, especially in that first half. And then at halftime, Michael Cage uh, came back on in the second half and said that he ran into uh, Dominique in the, at halftime and, and Wilkins was just raving about Giddy again. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, 0-5 from three, and he had some really nice jumpers, had some really nice looks from three. I think the thing I love the most about Giddy though, was he was doing so aggressively. He didn't care if he missed his first four threes. He was going to take that fifth one with just as much confidence as the first. And those will, will fall eventually. He still has that weird, not really a wind up, but you see him like kind of kick that foot out, kind of twist his body some, trying to get extra power <laughs> to get the ball there. Um, a lot of his shots are his three point shots or jumpers are even are either short or flat. And I think he's just going to have to gain more strength, more lower body strength, more core strength to be able to uh, get a little more power and get more arch on that shot. The stroke looks good, and I think it'll get there once he gets that power. Um, but man, I just love every single part of, of Josh Giddy's game tonight. And besides that three point barrage, uh, that tra- you know when Trey Young got it going, you know one could argue that Josh Giddy was the best player on the floor tonight, and just a complete all round game. And like I said, I was disappointed that Bliss didn't give him more time in the fourth quarter because I think he had a really solid shot to get that tri- triple double. And I think it would have been great for his development as well. Um, I don't, again, he played 31 minutes. Baisley plays 32 minutes. Like I, I think it's fine to play him to play Giddy 36 minutes tonight, 37 minutes, uh, especially if you're, if you know you're getting SGA back against the, or, or think it's likely you'll get SGA back against the jazz on Wednesday. So anyways, uh, Josh Giddy, I, I probably didn't even do that justice, but I thought he played a fantastic game. My other one, Kind of a sleeper. Um, you don't notice him on the court. Uh, and I'll kind of get into this. Or, sorry, non, but just in general, like when you're looking back on the box score, you kind of come across the stat line. You're like, man, that, that was really impressive. I didn't realize this player had a double-double. And that's JRE. 13 points, 10 rebounds. Um, again, just like it's not loud uh, in the way that we talked about Kevin Durant scoring, Shake Gillis-Alexander scoring. You know, those players, you, you don't think that they're having a big scoring game, but you look up like midway through the third quarter and they both have 28 points. Um, JRE does so in a different way. And, and the other fundamentals, right. Um, cleaning up around the basket. He had, he actually had a pretty loud um, putback dunk. He almost had in the first half, which I thought was pretty awesome, but he's constantly crashing the, the boards, more great defense. He got switched on the Trey young one possession in the second half, uh, very reminiscent of his possession on Harden where he was moving his feet drops his hips and just plays some, some great defense. I actually think Trey Young ended up making that shot, but I just, I loved um, him ch- being able, being able to switch JRE and some of those quicker, smaller players like that it, it is incredible. And just what he brings to those lineups are really impressive. So I don't want to completely just, you know, rip off the athletic here and, and read all this word for word. But Sam Vecini came out today with his uh, top rookies of the season so far, basically um, he had Giddy at six, he had JRE at 14, I believe, which was was great. And he had some really good things to say about both of them and about the Thunder as a whole. I just thought I'd read a, a couple of seconds because I think it's really relevant in what I'm trying to um what I'm trying to portray regarding JRE and his impact on the court. Um and also this is a fun, like for example, you had the, the Rockets tonight who got beat again, I believe. And there was a lot of people clamoring, like, why is John Wall traveling with the team but just sitting on the bench, right? And why didn't the Thunder uh, why did the Thunder get so much, you know? so much complaining and um, why did people get so upset about them sitting out Horford last season? And why aren't they doing the same for John wall? And so I think this is a, I think Sam Vecini, first of all, did a really good job kind of contrasting OKC uh, what they're doing with their rebuild compared to the Rockets this season. 
Um, he says, OKC is a team of kids that plays like they're vets. They have identified mature, intelligent guys and cl- clearly have created a positive culture. To me, that's the difference between them and a sim- similarly talented Houston team. And I think he just nailed it on the head right there. And JRE falls into that category of a, a kid that plays like a veteran. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about that on this podcast so far this season, uh, mature and intelligent. And Vicini goes into detail with JRE when he mentions him at number 14. Um, the Thunder are sneaky, competitive, and competent because they have a group of players like JRE who bring two things to the table. One, uh, Vicini mentions the high IQ, uh, make, making the right reads, making ro- the right rotations defensively, playing unselfishly. And second, uh, they take the game seriously every night and make life tough for the opposition. And that's JRE. Uh, you know, he he mentioned, I, I mentioned how JRE, it, nothing he did was flashy. It almost takes you back seeing him have that, that double-double stat, um, stat line, excuse me. But um, Vecini mentioned as well, like you're never going to see JRE necessarily on a highlight reel, um, but he's always going to be doing the right thing and is the perfect fit, um, you know, that the perfect fifth player for some of these lineups with some of these other young guys like SGA, Dort, Giddy. So I, I definitely wanted to mention that there. I loved reading that earlier today. And then JRE just backed that up with a very similar game that Vecini was describing um, when JRE, from JRE's line tonight. Uh, two more things. The Thunder points in the paint, uh, plus a rebounding. Uh, let's see. They had this pulled up, and then I got off of it when I was reading about JRE. Rebounds. Thunder out-rebound the Hawks 59-46, to which is really, really impressive. I actually don't have their points in the paint here, but you guys heard me talk a lot about that, especially from the first half. I love seeing them do that, especially, like I said, against a very uh, strong, big team um, in the Atlanta Hawks. You have guys like John Collins and Clint Capella, and all the young guys are bringing off their bench. For them to still be able to, especially without SGA, um, score around the rim like they were able to, score in the paint like they were able to, that says a lot about this team. I also think they got some of those because of some of the passing they were making. I don't have the direct quote, but Bliss had a quote after the game talking about how the ball hasn't been sticking with this Thunder team, especially recently. And you, you saw that, you know, Giddy's driving to the rim, uh, his ability to make the right reads and just some insane passes at some insane angles um, when he is driving, right? That opens up areas in the paint, uh, just like a, having like a knockdown three-point shooters would. And I, I think that's translated really well. Um, and I think having Giddy as a primary ball handler tonight um, led to a lot of that, right? He he is more of a facilitator compared and setting up his teammates compared to an SGA. And I, I think that is partially a reason why the Thunder were able to score in the paint uh, more easily than they have been over, over the past couple of games. But don't get me wrong, <laughs> we need SGA, and SGA is still this, this, this team's best player, and I'm excited to get him back, hopefully Wednesday. But I think that, that maybe is a reason that we saw uh, the Thunder able to score in the paint a little more easily tonight. Then my last one, my last positive is Ty Jerome. 15 points off the bench without Shea. Um, played some really good defense with getting his hands on passing lanes, which led to transition points, which I continue to argue is when this team is at their best. I thought Ty played a really good game overall. It was great to see him get a lot of burn. Uh, unfortunately, some of it came at the detriment of Giddy in that fourth quarter, but I loved what we saw from Ty. So um, had to mention Ty there as well. And then, look, an honorable mention. I don't want to call it a positive yet, but Poku. 10 rebounds ties his career high. Uh, he had nine points. He got more burn with Shea being out 21 minutes, which was the most uh, for any player off the bench. And I thought he played really well within that second unit. He continues to play within the offense. He was only four of 13. He shot the ball 13 times. But his shot looks good. Uh, it's it's there. It, it's just a matter of him getting 
you know, seeing that ball go through the basket. And if he can start to knock down some of those shots consistently, he's going to be a real scoring threat off the bench. And I thought he played good enough defense as well. So just an honorable mention there for Mr. Uh, Mr. Alexei Pukashevsky. And I think that's all I got, guys uh, and gals. I appreciate you all tuning in. The Thunder play again on Wednesday night, like I mentioned, this time back home against the Utah Jazz. Hopefully Shea will be ready to go. And then Friday, they play the Houston Rockets in a, a rematch of the Battle of the Tanks. So thank you all for tuning in. We'll have you guys covered for both of those games. As you head into the Thanksgiving holiday, uh, be sure to tune in. You need a little break from family. You need a little break um, after eating food and as you drift off into your food coma. Uh, turn on the uncontested. Listen to us. We'll have you guys covered, especially I know the holidays are a busy time. If you all um, aren't able to watch the games, we'll break them down for you. So we appreciate you all tuning in. And until next time, thunder up. <laughs>